Well, if you're alive, you have discovered that some bad decisions follow you for a while. They, they have a tendency to echo throughout your life in certain ways. Sometimes those echoes can last a long time if you did something particularly foolish. Um, when I was 18, I got a, a few tickets for recklessly speeding through a southern state that I will not name on, a way ba- on my way back from Florida with a group of friends. And that was an expensive, expensive, dumb decision that one of the, it, it kept getting more expensive. You know, I had to, it was expensive at the time, and then we had to get a lawyer to appear on my behalf in court in this state since I lived here. It just really, really got out of hand, especially for somebody who, at that moment in my life, had never had a job before. But by golly, I got one. Had to pay them bills for the first time ever in my life. And what was interesting is, once that state reported that dumb thing I did to Illinois, I was supposed to like, have some pretty serious consequences here. I was going to lose my license and all that stuff, and it just never happened. I don't know where the paperwork got hung up, but it got hung up real good, and it never got here. But for about 10 years after that happened, I just kind of lived with this low-grade anxiety every time I checked the mail. I was just waiting for a letter from the Secretary of State telling me, oh, We figured it out. Everything's happening now. All the bad things you've been worried about. It's been 20 years, though, almost. Like, surely I I, I can relax a little bit. Um, But those first few years, though, I was, like, really, really anxious anytime I got in a car. Because I was like, you know, if I get pulled over, get a ticket for anything... That's gonna, they're gonna find that thing I did. And I would be so nervous. And one time I was driving to church. I was already in college. I was preaching at my first little church. And I was driving up there for like a Sunday night service. And I got pulled over. And I, I don't know why, but I was driving my dad's car. And I got pulled over for an expired sticker. And so the cop comes and I get my license and registration and insurance and all that stuff. And I, I get on my little flip phone and I call my mom and I'm like, whoa, I got pulled over. There's no sticker on this car. I better not get in trouble. And I'm so mad, you know. And she's like, well, don't worry. Just tell him that your dad actually already has the sticker. He just hasn't put it on yet. He already has a sticker. And he, I'm going to, you know, lose my license forever because he couldn't put a sticker on the car. You know, I'm just like totally, totally freaking out. And, you know, like I said, so far, that one hasn't followed me. I think that one's done making waves. Um, but recently, there was another situation that followed me that I, uh, it's something I joke about a lot in sermons. It was, you know, the time I got caught by Lita Billu, who was our secretary at the time. I was putting in a car seat, first time I ever put in a car seat. And I got mad and threw it across the yard. And I laugh about it because it shows, you know, how angry I can get. But it was a long time ago, so it's kind of funny, right? And I thought, that's, you know, I thought that's over and done with, right? Well, this past week, our vacuum broke. And so you don't even know what's going to happen yet. You can't laugh yet. Our vacuum broke. And so I don't know anything about vacuums, right? And so I, but I'm like, I'm going to look at it and watch some YouTube videos, see if I can figure out what's going on. So I tip it over, and I've got a few things pulled off of it. And I'm just looking at it and trying to figure it out, seeing if it's like, you know, I live with two girls, so there's hair always round around the brushes and that kind of thing. So I'm just looking at it, cleaning it out. And about that time, it was in the evening, and Lita and her daughter Megan come walking by. And so my kids all run out to say hi, and then Abby goes out, and they start chatting. And I'm like, I got to... I'm too into this. I got too many pieces off. I got to keep my brain in here. So I get it. I, I figure out I need a part. So I put the vacuum back together, but I realize I can't fix it. And 
put it up, put it away, and then I go out to join everybody else. And Abby says, did you have any luck with the vacuum? And I said, no, I couldn't figure it out. And without missing a beat, Lita says, did you throw it? <laughs> and I was like, no, I didn't throw it, Lita, I didn't throw it. Not while you were outside my window where you could see me. I only throw things in private now, so I've grown as a human. Um, but yeah, you know, we've had those moments, those things like did something dumb, either you got caught or maybe you didn't, and, and, but it can still have these echoes and it reverberates through your life. In fact, if you're watching online, let us know in the comments if there's anything you know, that you've done that followed you for a while. Nothing, don't put your like criminal record on there, but you know, anything that you know, we can relate to maybe. Um, but those past mistakes have a, have a way of having consequences that just kind of trickle throughout our lives. Now, If you recall back a few months ago, at the beginning of the year, we started this journey through uh, what's called Core 52. And there's a book that goes with it, and it kind of divides the year up into 52 main ideas to help us kind of just understand the main story, the main most important ideas in Scripture. And the thing we learned the first week was that when God created the universe, his goal in creating everything was that all of creation would be a sort of holy temple where he would live with his people, where he would rule and reign with us here on earth. And then God created humans, and he gave us this dominion, that's the word used in Genesis 1, dominion, or the ability to rule over the earth. He gave, uh, he put the earth and caring for the earth and the, everything in it under the authority of Adam and Eve. In a sense, you know, it was like God was sitting on his throne, and he made a little smaller throne to go next to it for Adam and Eve to carry out this great work. But Adam and Eve decided that they didn't want to follow God's rules. They didn't want to lead in the way he wanted to lead, wanted them to lead. They wanted to do something that would benefit them. They wanted more power than God had given them, and they wanted to do things their own way. And because of this evil, because of this sinful disobedience, God took them and expelled them from his presence in the garden. And that single act has reverberated throughout human history. And sin has been the constant companion of every person who has ever lived. And I think that every evil, not every evil, but most evil, most hostility, most pain in the world comes because of the evil that lives inside of each and every one of us. And, you know, you could say, well, what about pain from, like, natural disasters and stuff? Yeah, those things do cause pain and suffering. But if you were to if you were able to like list everything out, the pain and suffering caused by what the world throws at us versus what we do to each other, I am convinced that there is way, way more heartache and pain and devastation caused by us than by anything the world has done. And so we live in a world where, you know, there's just brokenness, not only in us, but just everywhere you turn. Uh, we live in kind of this world that's incredibly divided right now, where what everybody wants to tell you and convince you is that there's a, a certain group of people that are the problem. You know, Republicans are the problem, Democrats are the problem, police officers are the problem, college professors are the problem. Everybody, there's always a group of people that are the problem, right? Which is a very oversimplified way and a very... S- easy way to kind of deal with the corruption in the world. We want to find a bad guy and point out at somebody and be like, they're, they're, the, they're the Darth Vader of the story kind of thing, right? But the reality is that people, groups aren't necessarily the problem, and the things that people are doing uh, in those people groups aren't necessarily the problem. That's just a, those are just symptoms of a deeper disease, which is the sin that has a hold of every human heart. 
And, and so I'm not saying that our society doesn't have some really serious, deeply ingrained problems that need to be dealt with or anything like that. But what I'm saying is we're oftentimes not really diagnosing what the real problem is. And it's this sinfulness that has always existed. And the human race has always proven that we have this incredible capacity to do evil. But at the same time, because we are still made in God's image, yes, we're corrupted, but we still have this amazing ability to do great things. I mean, there are such amazing acts of kindness and compassion and joy and generosity that you can see every day uh, on, online and just different places, right? But our potential for good is always held back by the sin that seems to have a hold of us. And, and just so that we don't get depressed, there, uh, there's, we've, we've got to kind of hope for the fact that that isn't going to be the problem forever. We've got to kind of hope that that sin isn't going to just be this thing that always keeps us from being who we want, who God wants us to be. Because otherwise, I mean, you can turn on the news and get so depressed. Uh, one new term that I, has come up, I've only heard it in like the last year or so, is doom scrolling. That's where you get on your phone and you're like, it's just doom, 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 and it just dra- the farther you scroll down, the farther you get dragged down uh, with it. And but like you can do that stuff and just be so overwhelmed with the, the bad that exists out there. But is it possible that there's hope even in, when you look out and you see nothing but pain and suffering and darkness and people doing what is evil? Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to venture into an Old Testament book of prophecy, the book of Daniel. And Daniel is a really, really cool book um, because it's got some of the most well-known stories in the Bible in it. Um, It's got the story of Daniel and the lion's den, um, which a lot of people know, a lot of Christians know. It's got the story of Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown into the fiery furnace. Uh, All these stories that we put in like like kids' lessons, right? And, and it's like, that really shouldn't be in a kid's lesson, right? Like I told, I was, Abby and I would talk about this all the time. It's like, you know, in the story of Daniel in the lion's den, what is not in any of those pictures in the illustrated children's Bible are probably all of the bones of all the other people that the guy threw into the lion's den. Like that stuff all gets whitewashed over, right? But anyway, uh, so Daniel's got, it's got a, some really cool stuff in it. Part of the book is a, a narrative or a story of Daniel just telling um, the tale of his life. Because Daniel lived at a time when Daniel lived at a time um, when uh, Israel had been destroyed by the nation of Babylon, and a lot of people were taken as slaves away from Israel and back in, into Babylon. And Daniel was one of those people. And so Daniel is writing some of this book from the perspective of his just life, just telling a story. But then there's these sections, like the one we're going to look at today where he counts, uh, recounts a vision or a prophecy that, uh, that he had. So he goes to sleep one night, and God gives him this vision. And you re- if you're reading the story, you get to these parts that are like, oh, it's a normal story, everything's going good, and then Daniel goes to sleep, and everything just goes off the rails. It gets so weird and so crazy that you're, you can be like, what just happened to this story? And so the reason why we have a hard time with some of these prophetic places is because we approach them like it's a story, when they're not. Um, the better way to think about this stuff is to think about it in terms of like how most modern music in the last 50 to 60 years a lot of it has taken on this very figurative tone, this very figurative sense where the words don't really make any sense if you think about it. 
Like if you ever, you've had, you have songs, some of your favorite songs, I'll bet, you sing them, you know every word, but if you ever sat down, printed out the lyrics, and read them, you'd be like, oh, this is nonsense. Uh, one example, um, in high school, we had an English teacher who made us spend uh, far too long, I'll say that, um, as a class, dissecting the song American Pie. You know the song American Pie? You could probably all hum it, right? Okay. 90% of the words in that song are nonsense, okay? Um, it's got like 14 verses, but one of them is, Oh, there we were all in one place, a generation lost in space, with no time left to start again. So come on, Jack, be nimble. Jack, be quick. Jack flashed out on a candlestick, because fire is the devil's only friend. Okay, what? Anybody? Like, what is that? That's, what does it mean? Like, they're in one place, but it's in space, and the devil shows. Like, that's weird, right? And we sing it and don't think a thing about it, and we just like, ah, oh, okay, fine. But it can seem crazy until you know a little bit about maybe what the author had in mind when they wrote it. Otherwise, it's nonsense. Another song that was popular um, as I was getting into high school was a song called Glycerine. Yeah, she knows it. Anybody know Glycerine? Yeah, um, and anyway, it's a, it's, you don't need to know it. Don't worry about it. But it, but, I, but it was one of those songs like I would sing it, but it was the first time I ever realized that a song that I liked that was popular that was total nonsense, okay? Here it is. I'm never alone. I'm alone all the time. Are you at one or do you lie? We live in a wheel where everyone steals, and when we rise, it's like strawberry fields. If I treated you bad, you bruise my face. Couldn't love you more. You've got a beautiful taste. What is happening? Like, it's utter gibberish, okay? And so we, re- we have these songs, that, that, and we, we're, we just accept that this is the way it is, okay? Well, think of that. Take that little bit of an approach when you arrive at some of these really confusing portions of, of the Bible that are more figurative in tone, especially the prophetic stuff. And if you've ever even um, flipped over into the book of Revelation and thought, this is really confusing and really scary and I don't understand what's going on, it's because a lot of those images in Revelation are actually drawbacks to stuff like this from Daniel chapter 7 that we read or we're going to read today. And so again, they can be confusing unless you have some insight into what the author had in mind when they wrote it. Well, luckily, we can make some sense of what Daniel had to say, even though it's pretty confusing at first. So we'll start in Daniel chapter 7, verse 2. And Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Um, now, we already kind of get a little bit of a, a hint. Nothing's really happened here, and it's, that's pretty normal. But it's already, the figurative stuff has already started. Um, one uh, common picture in the Old Testament is that the wickedness of humanity is often connected to the sea. Or it'll be referred to as tur- the turbulent waters of humanity. And so we um, will have this, th- there's this idea that, that this, what comes out of these stirring waters are the product of not God, but of us, of our innovation, of our evil, that we've brought it about ourselves. And so what Daniel is about to see come out of this water is not godly. It is something that is the product of evil human sin. And in verse 3, we really start getting really weird. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had an eagle's head, then, as I looked at its, or had eagle's wings, excuse me, had a lion and had eagle's wings. Then, as I looked at its wings, were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. 
And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise and devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. That's weird, right? Like, I mean, anybody who has any, you know, sense can read that, like, that's really scary. Maybe you have, maybe that's the kind of dreams you have. Like, my dreams never make sense. I, I rarely have dreams that are all good. They always take some weird turn as spiders crawling out of every place imaginable and snakes falling from the sky. Like, it's always weird, right? But that's kind of like, there's so much in this that's so weird, and yet it's so cool. It kind of, as I was reading it this week, it was weird because all I've been getting on social media and, and in YouTube videos for ads for a while are uh, promotions and trailers for King Kong versus Godzilla. Like, that's what I was thinking. I was like, this is very much like that, okay? These beasts coming out of nowhere. But what we can figure out is that each one of these beasts represents a major power, world power, that uh, was in place in the, in the ancient world. Um, and the visions start where Daniel is, with Babylon. The lion was Babylon, where Daniel was currently a slave. But after that, these beasts, it takes on, the, from Daniel's perspective, it's all in the future. And so after Babylon would arise Persia. Persia is the bear. Um, then after Persia comes the next world power, which is the leopard, with four wings and four heads. Uh, the four wings uh, symbolized speed and swiftness, which makes sense because um, the Greek forces very quickly, over the course of like 10 years, that was pretty quick in the ancient world, you know, when they didn't have cars and, and that kind of thing. But Alexander the Great led their forces to conquer so much of the ancient world in very short amount of time. They were very fierce. Um, in fact, Alexander, upon kind of beating everybody else, he, there's a story about him being sad because he'd run out of people to conquer. There's just no man, poor guy. He was only like 24 or something at the time, but it, but or like maybe he would have been 30s at this point. He was 24 when he started, but he was been, but he was sad that there's just no more nations to conquer. The poor guy, right? And so they were the Greek Empire, and the reason it had four heads um, probably means that um, or aligns with the fact that when a uh, Alexander died. Four generals kind of rose up, and they couldn't get along, and so the Greek Empire split into four parts. So it was still like the Greek Empire, but it was never the same, four distinct areas. But then there's a final beast, a mysterious beast that he can't describe because it looked unlike anything he'd ever seen. And in these visions, what we kind of guess is happening is that Daniel sees stuff that's so out there, he's just trying to give words to it so that we can make sense of it, so that he can describe it to people. And so this mysterious beast doesn't look like anything that's come before it, but it's so fierce, it's got iron teeth, and it's so incredibly powerful. This would have been the Roman Empire that ultimately came. And in the same way that this beast was like, unlike anything that came before it, Rome was unlike anything that came before it. It was 
bigger than any, any world power had ever been. It was fiercer and more intimidating and dominating than anyone that had ever come before it. The, and, and all of these nations represent the evil that humankind can bring about, the, the impressive power that we can attain. But ultimately, all of them were evil in various ways. The Roman Empire is a great example because... Um, you know, they got to be so big because they were unstoppable, and they maintained power, and they main, maintained peace by, by treating criminals with such, in such horribly brutal ways. Um, for instance, crucifixion. That's a very popular main part of our faith, right? Well, they didn't, Romans didn't invent it, but they perfected it. They found this, this execution practice of another nation that they defeated, and they made it worse so that it would scare anybody into keeping the laws. When they saw somebody dying brutally on a cross, it would be enough to scare anybody straight and say, I'm never going to cross these guys. I'm going to be a rule-abiding, law-keeping citizen so that I, that doesn't happen to me. And so there was so much about these nations that, and these beasts that represent the evil that humanity was capable of. And, you know, you can look into our world now and see, still see huge examples of of evil in our world that can make you just be in awe of some of the depths that the human soul can reach and the evil that humanity can accomplish. And like I said earlier, it can be really depressing when you turn on the news. And what's scary is most of the bad stuff happening in the world doesn't even make the news. I mean, there's a bunch of bad stuff in the world that they just choose not to show us. you got to kind of go looking for it. Um, one thing that's rarely ever makes the news is for years there have been um, roaming bands of extremists going through Africa, burning villages, kidnapping and raping young girls by the dozens, and then beheading Christians and, and anybody that stands in their way. But we don't hear about that very often, but that's been happening regularly for a long time. And what's happening in Myanmar right now? Luckily, that has made the news, but you have a power-hungry military regime that lost some power for a while, didn't like it, and now they're killing innocent people by the hundreds just to maintain an iron grip a fear on this small nation. I think it's most obvious to see um, the, the, the human craving for power, not in like the big things like Rome, but in something like Myanmar, because even if you become the top dog in Myanmar, you're still not a very top dog in the world. But you see what these people are, are willing to go through to maintain this little slice of the power pie on a global scale. And so you could go on and on at the, at the depths of human depravity because any rock you turn over, you're going to see squiggly stuff under it pretty much. But Daniel's vision doesn't end with these beasts, these representations of evil winning and staying in control. Because we go on to, to Daniel chapter 7 verse 9. And Daniel says, as I looked, thrones were placed not one, thrones. Um, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. The Ancient of Days is a term referencing God. And his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousands served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. So God shows up to hold court, and the beasts are the ones on trial, namely that final beast. And like I said, the Ancient of Days refers to God, um, the, the idea that he 
he was, his clothes were white as snow. That represents absolute moral purity, showing that he was qualified to judge, to be the judge between good and evil. Um, the fact that his hair was um, like pure wool, that also could be a, a reference to it's white, so he's moral purity. Um, but more likely, it's another reference to age, the ancient of days, that he's got this white hair, which refers to age. And with age comes what? Wisdom. Yeah, so, so he's got not only the moral purity, but the unmatched wisdom to hold this court. And so what happens? God holds court, and he, wants, and he stands to judge and condemn the evil of mankind. The books are open, which means everything's recorded. All the, all the things we think, no one's being punished for this. The world's so unfair, why is it so unjust? Everything's being recorded, and God stands to judge every evil act of mankind. And God takes this final beast, throws it into fire, and destroys it, and the beasts have no more power. But then there's the issue of what's with the other throne? Thrones came down. God sat in one to hold court. What about the other one? Because remember, in the garden, we were given dominion, and we, we blew it. We, we messed it up, and God pulled them out of the Garden of Eden. And then these nations would rise up and have dominion. But now they're gone, so who's going to rule? Well, the story goes on, and um, this is actually the theme verse. Verse 13 is actually the theme verse for this week's Core 52 lesson. So Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Now, a son of man is just a term that means a human, okay? So a, he sees a human, somebody in the form of a human, but coming down in clouds was an Old Testament thing that showed somebody like coming out of heaven, like something having the power of God. That showed God showing up usually. So we have kind of this God-man mixture going on. And it says, And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion. There's the word from Genesis chapter 1. And glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So this one, like a son of man, this God-man shows up and takes dominion over the world. And this idea of him being a person, but also God, we, it's this mixture of power and yet qualification to be somebody who could sit on that throne that God originally made for humanity, that he originally wanted us to rule over the world and take care of the world and reflect his nature and his image and his glory as we ruled, and yet we, we just blew it. And so now comes a son of man, a human, to sit on that throne, to be supremely qualified, to be the best version of what humanity was meant to be, and yet still somehow be God. And then we fast forward into the New Testament, and we meet Jesus. Now, it's, it's important to note that that vision Daniel had, the, the ancient Jewish people, they, they understood a lot of what was going on there, and they recognized that that Son of Man was the Messiah, was this promise of a Savior that would one day come and set up a new kingdom on earth. And 
And then Jesus shows up, and he comes around doing all these miracles, healing people, teaching in ways that left people's jaws on the floor. And, and all these people, they were amazed by him, and they had all kinds of names. They were trying to figure out, what kind of guy is this? They, called him a, they thought he was a prophet. Uh, some rightfully identified him, said he's the Messiah, he's the Savior, he's the Christ. But Jesus never necessarily, or at least not often, called himself that. He had a term that he used most often for himself, He called himself the Son of Man. And if you've ever just read the New Testament or some of the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, you get to these parts where he starts talking in this weird third person, and he starts referring to himself as the Son of Man, and he'll say things like, the Son of Man came not to do this, the Son of Man came to do this. And if you don't understand it, you'll be like, is that him? Is he talking about himself? Why is he talking in the third person like that? This is kind of weird. But if you understand this prophecy from Daniel chapter 7, you realize, oh, Jesus wants to draw a line between the people hearing him and this Daniel 7. He wants people to see he's that long-awaited Savior. He's that Son of Man who was promised to come and, and be the perfect human who would restore the human race, who would redeem and restore humanity. And, and so Jesus was claiming that he was this person. He was that son of man. And he called himself the son of man more than anything else. And, and to do that, he had to deal with the issue that's always been the issue, sin. And so in order to deal with it, he stayed away from it. He lived a perfect life, not falling into the temptations and traps that we've all fallen into, that every human has fallen into. He lived a perfect life completely without sin. And then he surrendered himself to die on a cross for the punishment of all the sins that every human being had ever earned throughout the course of their broken existence. And he paid the price. He suffered and died to deal with the sin. In order that, as he was, as he was killed, all of that sin, its hold was broken. And after his death, Jesus Um, He took his life back, showing that, again, sin and death, they did not have any hold on him. He broke free from the hold they had on him. They had no power, and they would no longer hold any power on anyone who followed him, on anyone who put their trust and their faith in him. And because he was willing to humble himself, to be killed for us, though he didn't deserve it even a little bit, Philippians tells us that God exalted him lifted him up, raised him up to a place of honor and glory where at the mere mention of his name, the entire creation would bow down before him in honor. God enthroned Jesus on a kingdom, but a different kind of kingdom. Not like the broken, power-hungry, selfish, greedy kingdoms that our world tends to produce. God enthroned Jesus on a perfect kingdom that was not touched in the least by sin or corruption. And unlike all those beasts and countries and nations that come and go throughout the course of history, the kingdom of Jesus is eternal and will last forever. And so Jesus came the first time to bring in, to usher in this new kind of kingdom. And he's going to come back again one day to finish his work, to finish what he started, to bring justice over every cruel, 
unfair, destructive, evil force on this planet to make right all that has gone wrong, not just with the world, but everything that's gone wrong in us. He's going to root out every ounce of evil and grossness and corruption that lives in the deepest, darkest depths of our soul. And he will finally free the human existence from the fear of pain, fear of death. He's going to make heartbreak because of loss. He's going to make suffering all of those things, he's going to make them distant memories. And so, you know, we can go about our day and flip open the news and see all the scary stuff that's happening in the world, and we can be overwhelmed by it because it does look like, man, there's just bad stuff absolutely everywhere. But the reason for this prophecy in Daniel chapter 7 is so that we would keep our eyes open for the Son of Man, was so that we would see the one that is greater than the evil and the corrupt powers of this world, one that is stronger, one that is better, more pure, more holy. We would look to the Son of Man and not be overwhelmed by the evil in the world, but we would be encouraged that the God of the universe is going to overcome that evil. And so we trust that one day Jesus is going to come back and balance the scales and right every wrong, to deal with the unjust powers in the world, to free the innocent, to punish the prideful, and to, and to raise up and elevate the humble. So... There are times when it does feel like, boy, the evil in us, the evil in humanity, it's just never going to go away. It just echoes forever. Your mistakes echo for a while, but man, people just, the, the, the depths of, of evil just seem to show up everywhere you turn. But those things will not last forever. They might feel like it, but they will not. But what Jesus has done, what he's brought into existence through his death on the cross and through his resurrection that will echo. The consequences of that, the freedom from that, the justice of that will echo absolutely forever. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the hope that comes in Jesus that in the midst of, of something scary and the, the, the frightening evil of the world that we have hope in the Son of Man. And there's some days, Father, where we can be overcome maybe with the disappointment in ourselves that we can't even live the kind of lives that we, we want to live, that we know that you want us to live, and we can feel overwhelmed by our own brokenness and sin. But let us, even, even in that moment, not be overcome and depressed, but look to you for hope, but look to you for the promise that, that, that Jesus died to break sin's hold on us, that he paid the price so that even in our brokenness, we still have a right relationship with you, that even in, in, in our imperfect state, you still love us, and I pray, Father, that you would then draw us to be surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to be aware that, that you have sent your Spirit to live inside of us so that we can be transformed from the inside out. There is so much hope in the story of Jesus. And I, I, I appreciate so much the vivid imagery in Daniel 7 that puts this incredibly scary band of, of beasts um, opposite of the amazing glory and power and goodness of Jesus, that, that as we look around this world, sometimes it does feel scary and it does feel overwhelming and it does feel like uh, the evil is very strong and, and frightening. But we always know that the beasts will be defeated. The beasts will be dealt with. The evil of the human existence will, will, will one day be wiped away and that you will rescue us and break us free from our sin. That, and, and that we would be just in awe of the fact that 
as Jesus came into the world and he, he always called sin for what it was. He always spoke harshly and, and even raised the bar on behavior for what sin was. And he dealt so, he spoke so, so against the evil of sin, yet that when he came in contact with sinners, he was so gracious and kind. And, and Jesus didn't look at the broken people as evil, but he looked at them as, as captives, people who were prisoners to the, the power of sin. And he came not to punish, but to, to rescue us and to break us free. And so I just pray that we would, we would be people who are filled with hope, that we would be looking at the horizon, waiting for the coming of the Son of Man to restore and redeem and make right all that has gone wrong in the world, but that we would also look inside of ourselves for the hope that we already have in Jesus, the change we already have through Jesus and the Holy Spirit he sent to live inside of us. And so, Father, as we leave here today, I pray that we would be encouraged and that we would gain a resilience against the, the bad news that is often in, on our TVs and on our uh, social media feeds, and that we can still see hope and find hope and look, um, and look to you, and hopefully even in, the, in dark times, be able to shine your light more brightly. So thank you for Jesus and the rescue he brought to all of us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.